As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Live from Tampa, Florida, it's The Audible. Coming up, we're going to be talking, of course, about the Clemson-Alabama National Championship game. Minnesota has a new coach and I assume a new slogan. That and more on The Audible. Welcome to the Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined in person on the patio of this beautiful hotel in downtown Tampa. It's Bruce Feldman and our friend Ralph Russo from the AP. Guys, glad to be doing this in person. This is nice. Thank you very much. And it's uh, yeah, we have a little like natural sound in the background. Yeah, there's yeah, like Bruce's phone. Example, Bruce's phone. <laughs> Apparently, Western Michigan may have hired a new coach. <laughs> Turn this over. Um, Kind of walked into Stu's room and I was kind of felt better about myself. Stu got a little room. So why is <laughs> he's that? got a double. He's got like <laughs> Stu also has a better view than I do. I, I have that building as my view, and Stu has a water view. And by the way, we're watching a pirate ship. By the way, a quick aside to since we're talking playoff stuff and everything. Uh, back in the in the heydays of John Junker, Stu used to get the really good suites at the Camelback. So. Ah, those were the days. My room last week, the Camelback leaked. They had to come fix it because it leaked. No, it's a pretty cool setup they have here for the championship game, this being our third one. But I don't know about you guys. It's cool to me that we're out of the normal four- or five-city rotation, that we're trying something new. The convention center is right ahead of me. The arena where Media Day will be is right behind us. And there's going to be concerts. But right now we're looking out literally at a pirate ship with the college football playoff logo on it. And I'm told there's like a whole... I didn't, you know, I know about the Tampa Bay Bucks. I didn't realize just how much pirates are ingrained in the Tampa Bay culture. And, and to that, we go to Wikipedia. Okay, tell us about it. Okay, this, this is three journalists are going to Wikipedia. Right. This right. is this is dangerous. This, for us. this is journalism in, in the in 2016. Okay, so the Gasparilla Pirate Festival is what is going on right now, and you, and as Stu mentioned, uh, it's going on this weekend. It, it's going on between January and February. From mid-January to early February, it has something of a uh, uh, of a Mardi Gras feel to it, uh, but it's pirate-related, and the there's a myth about a Spanish pirate who supposedly operated out of Southwest Florida during oh, it looks like this um, is Rich we're talking the 1800s. This is what I was told about the festival this morning. People get drunk, they get dressed up as pirates, they get drunk, and then they fall in the water. So, I don't know if that's going to be happening this weekend. It's something to look forward to. Where's your guy Leach? I mean, it seems to me this is where he should be living. Uh, he's in Key West. It's a, they take their Mardi Gras a lot serious, more seriously <laughs> down there. And I think the pirates are probably more serious down there, too. I mean, Key West, with, I would imagine there were literally pirates in Key West, right? I mean, that would be a place where right. you might get some real pirates. Before we get into the championship game, I just wanted to mention real quickly this morning, uh, I got out to Tampa Thursday night. This morning I went over and visited with Charlie Strong. You're like the 18th media member. Yeah, Pete Thamel beat me to it. Dennis Dodd was there. Considering that we spent like every week of the season, it seemed like, is he going to stay? Is he going to keep his job? Is he not going to keep his job? He's surprisingly at peace with what happened to Texas. He's like, well, we didn't win enough games. It wasn't for lack of support there. We just didn't win enough games. Did he talk about the cake being iced and baked? 
cake being ice for Tom Herman. Yeah. He actually at one point went down the whole depth chart of who Texas has coming back. USF, though, has a really good team coming back with a, with a Heisman candidate at quarterback and Quentin Flowers. And his last two head coaching jobs were rebuilding jobs. This one, he said, I can't mess this up. Well, if you think about it, like why is Charlie Strong at peace? Charlie Strong was a guy who waited probably longer than he should have to get a head coaching job, considering his resume, whatever reasons you want to equate to that. Um, got to coach at Louisville, got to coach at Texas. He's back in a place where he's really comfortable as far as where he recruited from. So, I mean, you know, he's 56 years old. I imagine that's a guy who probably figures, like, you know, I've, I've done a lot. Like, why I shouldn't have angst about this. You know, it didn't work out for me at Texas. I'm not happy about that. But, you know, Charlie Strong's covered a lot of ground in his career. The part I'm, I'm curious to how he reconciles it is, because I think the biggest thing when you talk, and I did a bunch of their games and I was around the program a lot this year, was the developing players and the relationships he has in the locker room and he'll still get to have that. Maybe it'll be even more unfettered because it's not as big and global a place. So you don't deal with a lot of the other nonsense, I don't call it nonsense, other stuff that you deal with in Texas. The part that I that I was referencing, and I'm curious how he deals with is just, you know, he's been really successful. And how frustrating that has to be to know, you know, again, a little like Tony Levine at, 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 at Houston where you recruited all the players and you built it up and now maybe you're just and maybe if Tony stayed maybe they don't win as much as, as Tom did or you know in the case of you know I think they're going to win big next year and I think they would have won big next year if they kept Charlie around now it's harder to make that case when you when you stumble down the stretch and you lose to Kansas and you lose the way you did to TCU but still I think in the back of your mind that has to be a, as competitive as coaches are that has to be a tough thing to swallow the thing that seemed to bother him the most is he feels, he kept saying, I'm not upset about what happened, but I do feel like I let people down. And what he means by that is he's very cognizant of how rare it is for an African-American head coach to get a job that big and then to not succeed. And what the, and the impact that has on the coaching world beyond. He talked to us about that the day before the TCU game. We're in his office for about an hour. He was very candid. And I remember telling our friend Andy Staples about it you know, a day or two later, and he goes, you know, that was kind of how Charlie was off the record a lot. Um, back when he was in Florida, you could get, you know, you'd get some very, very insightful thoughts on the on the big picture of the coaching world and some of the issues underlying. And the fact that now he's talking about it more on the record, as he, it sounds like he did with you today, I think is an interesting transition out of all the stuff he's been through. Well, right, because he, again, we talk about how he didn't get a head coaching job for a long time. He lived what I think a lot of people, worry might be the right, but look at this situation with African-American coaches, and they see a a dearth of them and think, why is that? Well, he lived that. Yeah. So, again, he has a chance to be a trailblazer to a certain degree, to be the first African-American coach at Texas, to win at a place where... I mean, you can do really big things, and it doesn't work out. Now, does that mean somebody else shouldn't get a chance? No, but I can understand him internalizing that as, did I cost somebody This could have been more of my legacy. You know, you talk to, like, Greg Byrne, who's now the AD at Arizona, and I think he takes great pride in the fact that he hired Sylvester Croom when he was the AD at Mississippi State, and, you know, that was a landmark hire uh, for the SEC. Well, here's a crazy nugget for you that I did not realize. This is only the second time that an African American head coach it's at a followed. major school has lost the job, has lost his job, and gotten another head coaching job. Tyrone Willingham was the first. I thought you were going to say this is the first time an African American coach has followed another African. That I don't know. And uh, their AD, we asked him about that. He said he didn't even realize that until somebody asked him about that at the press conference. It's a it's a ready made situation for him. They won eleven games this year. I think they will be going into the season at least the, the Houston type team that right. everybody's they looking will. to, to with less to of crash a, with and, less of a conference schedule to, yeah. to create headlines. Now you don't know obviously how that will work out, but um, all right. Turning our attention to this game, guys, I've noticed that in a, in the span of a week, Alabama went from the greatest team of all time to the media underdog. It's, Clemson is now the trendy pick. 
to win the national championship, even though Alabama has won 26 games in a row. I, I am not trendy then. No? No. I, I think what happens is you get that... Um, a recency, little, something of buy, recency bias, buyer's remorse kind of thing. Oh, I've already, oh, I've already owned Alabama, but oh, do I really want to keep them? Um, do I want to return them after the holiday season? Because I, what we just saw with with Clemson, I think that's overthinking it. Like I, I have seen an Alabama team all season that I think has a chance to be one of the best teams I've ever seen. They go fifteen and zero. They become the first FBS team to ever be fifteen and zero. That raises them to heights of, hey, this is one of the great teams of yeah. all time. So why stop now? So I'm curious. Ralph and I were at the Ohio State-Clemson game. Bruce, you were at the Alabama game. And we watched it on TV, you know, but it's not the same as being there. Did they really play as poorly as everybody's making it out to be? Yeah. It was 24-7. Yeah, when you talk to players after the game, you know, sometimes – you know, we make these small talk kind of, we don't even sometimes realize we're doing it as reporters where it's like, hey, congratulations or whatever, you know, like and you're, when you're walking out of a locker room or something. And with the exception of Bo Scarborough, I'm not sure anybody felt like they should be congratulated there. Like there was a feeling of, eh, we did not play a very good game, you know, like, and it started on a kind of awkward note where Buda Baker has a chance to pick off Jake Browning and doesn't. I'm sorry, you had a chance to pick off uh, Jalen Hurts. And then you wondered if if Alabama got a little more gun-shy of opening up, going, yeah, this secondary is not one we want to mess with. Um, now, they eventually got it to Bo Scarborough. But aside from Bo Scarborough, and the defense was really good, but you kind of felt like this is what we expected. We didn't expect Washington to be able to run the ball very well. We didn't expect uh, Jake Brown to be able to extend plays because he's not athletic like some of the guys who typically have given – them trouble at Alabama. The other thing is, they have speed at receiver. They do not have that big, physical uh, Mike Evans kind of guy who, by the way, Clemson has somebody kind of like that. that. And Ole Miss had that, like Laquan Treadwell and guys who've given them problems. So, you know, when I looked at this, I thought, when I watched them, saw them in person, their front seven is really good, but... I do not see this team anywhere near like the, hey, this is like rivals like the 2001 Miami team. I just I just don't think – I don't think they're – I think they're good. I don't think they're as good in the secondary, and I don't think they're anywhere near as good on offense. I'm torn. I, I, I'm still not sure who – we have to write the picks column on Sunday. I'm still not sure. Certainly the memory of Deshaun Watson in that title game last year looms large, and I, I definitely think – he is, without question, the best quarterback they've faced this year. But I also think that Alabama defense last year was very good. But this one is special. And especially with all the defensive touchdowns. And Clemson, we know, is going to take their shots. We talked about this the other day. They're going to go for those 50-50 balls. Mike Williams will probably come down with a couple of them. How many of them are going to end up in... Make a Fitzpatrick. Make a Fitzpatrick and, and heading to the other end zone. It is the craziest thing to say that you have to keep Alabama's defense off the board. But these are not flukes anymore. I mean, right. if, if it's once, twice, if, it's, if right. it's seven or eight, it's maybe a little fluky. But when it's 15, it's not fluky. So what does Alabama do if they don't get defensive touchdowns? Because you saw even last week with, with Washington. That game would have been a real nail-biter if they don't get that defensive touchdown. Now, I know they ended up scoring 50 against Florida, and it got out of hand, but even the early parts of the championship game against Florida, it was fits and starts for Alabama's offense, but punt return, safety. I mean, you saw some of that against A&M. They were struggling and deep into the third third quarter, and then they got the defensive touchdown. You saw it against LSU, and LSU has obviously... You know, better athletes than most of these teams who play them. LSU couldn't get anything going offensively, but they pretty much shut down Alabama's offense. So here's a question I would ask because I talked to Dave Aranda talking mm-hmm. about that LSU. What will be different about Alabama's offense, or what what is what do you see in Alabama's offense? It was just sort of a broad question. Give me some X's and O's on Alabama's offense, and he brought up the change from Kiffin to Sark, and he said that the, the thing I'm most interested in. Kiffin made them a team that morphs every week into what the opponent has the biggest problem with, right? He said, the way we study and prepare for Alabama is you have to study yourself. And you really, sell scouts, see where we most vulnerable, really they're going to do that. Yeah. yeah, like really deep dive. Like you'll see stuff that in like the three previous weeks that they're running that they will not show at all. 
when comes your game time. So you have to really deep dive on yourself. And he wondered if Sark will be the same way. Because he, you know, having faced Sark before, um, when he was in Pac-12 country, right? Aranda was in... Was when he was at Utah State. When he was at Utah State. When he was at Utah State. So I think he has faced Sark before. And he said, you know, I'm not sure that is going to be Sark's MO. Now, clearly, Sark is coming in to just take over what Kiffin did. But, if, you know, it's a play caller. To a certain degree, play callers have different feelings. The rumor is, and we'll ask about this at Media Day, that, you know, they've got 8,000 analysts to do nothing but break down film. And if not Sark, then certainly somebody spent that month before the Washington game breaking down Clemson and Ohio State to every detail. And the Sark, again, that's another reason I think people are swinging toward Clemson. This is an unprecedented situation. You know, we've had teams, people brought up David Cutcliffe when he left Tennessee before the Team Martin championship game, have changed play callers, but not the week of the game. Right. Jalen, that's Jalen Hurts' position coach, Lane Kiffin. You know, if he's struggling during the game, he's got a different voice in his ear. So that's a huge factor for Alabama. There's no question about it. Uh, yeah, I, I still think Alabama wins. I, again, I, I don't want to overthink. I don't want to get away from my first instinct. I think you're right. Their offense will probably have some fits and starts because that's been the way it's been all year. Um, I don't think it's gonna, we're going to see what we had last year. I don't think we're going to see this big back and forth. Definitely not. I think that Clemson's defensive line will control things a little better. And, yeah, I I think that you'll probably end up with an Alabama win, less scoring. And I'm I'm not ready to jump off ship yet. I'm not ready to jump off that pirate ship. ship. (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask you guys the hypothetical. If If Clemson wins and beats this Alabama team, where do you rank Davos Sweeney among the best coaches in college football then? I think he's got to move up into the top five. You know, and I don't think he surpasses the the, the holy trinity of Saban, Meyer, and Harbaugh. Should Harbaugh still be in there? That's a, that's a valid question, right? We've been putting him in there because of miracle rebuilding jobs. We're also giving him credit. Yeah, yeah, I think we're giving him credit. Yeah, yeah. So far, 10-3, and 10-3. Do you still, you still consider him, is it a no-brainer that he's number three at worst? No, I mean, not considering what we see with Chris Peterson going on. I yeah. mean, now now Peterson has validated that he will make Washington a bigger version of Boise. So that would be my, I would go, say, I'd go Harbaugh three, Peterson four, and then, or maybe Swinney four, I don't know. But well, you have to have Jimbo this is, in there, this, too. This is, I mean, what he has built there is unbelievable. Back-to-back national championship games at a program that had been irrelevant for 30 years. And if they get their national championship, first one since 81, by ending Alabama's 26-game winning streak, I mean, give the guy a parade. My gosh, that, what a tremendous accomplishment that would be. He would definitely have to go right there with Jimbo Fisher and Harbaugh. Well, okay, and you brought up an interesting name. Jimbo Fisher is somebody who I feel like we default to. Don't you think people, if you say, who's the better coach, Jimbo Fisher or Dabo Sweeney? At least up until this season, people would just say Jimbo. Oh, no doubt. Yes. But because he has the national championship. Because he has the national championship. It, it's it, hard it, to follow a legend. It's almost impossible to do. And he's done he it. Yeah. yeah. He I, I think there's a lot of people who are... The conversation I've noticed around Dabble a little bit is what happens next year when Deshaun leaves. But he was doing pretty well before Deshaun. I mean, you, you have to have your great player. The only guy who's never... Who, you know, every team that wins a national championship has great players and yeah. often has great quarterbacks. So I, I don't want to hold it against them too much. And, and Dabo was winning big with Taj Boyd and those teams too. Uh, though I do think it'll be fascinating to see what happens with Clemson as they transition to the post-Deshaun era. Absolutely. Can but we play a little game with Ralph? Sure. Okay. This game is called How Smart is Stu? And so I have Stu's preseason top 20 coaches rankings. So let's do it. Let's hear it. Okay. So here's where it is. This Stu. was in what August? Yes. Okay. Okay. So I, I'm going to give Stu the benefit of the doubt. I agree with his top two, which were Saban then Urban. Uh, his number three guy, Mark Antonio. No, uh, I know so, he's very hot. He is his number three guy. I want you to say if you would have him. All you have to do is say is top 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 ten, not top ten. Stu's an idiot. Those are your three choices. Okay. Gary Patterson is number three. Top ten. 
Mark D'Antonio. Would I still have him in my top ten? Top ten. You're gonna have a lot of time. You're gonna be an easy grade. You mean you're you're trying to say after one bet you would have him in your top five for the season? The only problem is I may end up with fourteen guys in my top ten. Jim Harbaugh is number five from Stu. His holy trinity. He had him number five. He was coming off one season, Citrus Bowl. There's nothing that Harbaugh's done this at this point that would make me. I would have had him three, but okay. Yeah. Uh, Jimbo Fisher number six. Totally fine with that. Uh, David Shaw number seven. Might have been a little high in hindsight. He's done a remarkable job, but again, we sort of get we get really We're getting loaded in. now. We get really sucked into what we've seen most, and if I and if I say Shaw is a top ten coach, a couple of those other guys can't be, and somewhere we're going to have to get Dabo in here too. Yeah. yeah. So all right, not top ten. I'll say not top ten. Okay. Dabo Sweeney number eight. Well, clearly we're yeah. top ten. Bob Stoops. See, I, I want to say the guy just I won want, his tenth Big Twelve championship. I want to say Stu's an idiot just because I want to say Stu's an idiot. There'll be chances. There'll be there'll be there'll 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 other chances to throw Stu over this. Because again, flesh. like how can again recency bias coach in the history of the Big Twelve, a guy who's starting to really get into the you know Hall of Fame credentials, not as a top ten coach. He's well, a top we're 10. about to do this in a minute because this. this yeah, when do you when do you chime in? When I get to the guy, I'm okay. most pissed off. With. Number ten, Brian Kelly. Ugh. See. That's rough. Stu's an idiot, but <laughs> I would have been an idiot too because I've always been a big Kelly guy. So I'll I'll go down with you. I'll go. That's down the guy you're pissed off about. No, oh. this is the one. I've always. Been I guy had to lobby Stu to get this guy. I believe in the top twenty. Number eleven, the Wizard, Bill Snyder. Uh, you had to lobby to get him into the top twenty. Stu has a thing about the elderly people. Let me just state for the record that in 2012, when I was still at SI. We would eat, you know, they asked the writers to nominate their sportsman of the year. Mine was Bill Snyder. Let me stay for the record. I love Bill Let Snyder. Let me stay for the record. He, Stu has such a thing about the elderly. He runs behind Dennis Dodd screaming boo every chance he gets. <laughs> did, Dennis Dodd just celebrated a landmark birthday. Yes, he did. Mistaken. He did, and he, and he is in better shape than most of them. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Number 12, Chris Peterson. Number 12. Okay, you've never laid out the criteria. It's a... More, I put more weight on recent performance. It's not a. If it was a career achievement award, Bill Snyder would be way up the Number list. Number twelve, Chris Peterson. Chris top Peterson 10, was 10. coming off two well, blah seasons. Peterson, no, but Peterson still should have been in the top ten. Okay, he, he, that, can see, that be a Stu's an idiot? That could be a Stu's an idiot. How can you go, Chris Peterson, knock him all the way out of the top ten? Yeah. Uh, Number thirteen, Les Miles. Oh boy. I think I think I'll say myself that I'm an idiot there. Les has a has a very nice resume. Yeah, he does. Number 14, Bobby Petrino. That should be higher. You think he should be in the top 10? He should be higher than 14. Uh, Bobby Petrino is also another guy where I've always been. I mean, you know, take what you want about his personality, but I've always rated Petrino. So you have, his top, you have a lot of guys in your top 10. Again, I have a top 10 that might be about 16 uh, or 17. I think I, I like agree Dick with Dick yes, tournament. I, I agree <laughs> with Stu where he's at. Number, Everybody's in. Number 15, Kenny and Matalolo. What a terrific coach, huh? Um, not top 10, though. Yeah, I think this is about right. Number 16, similar guy. Well, not similar, but similar, I feel like, work. David Cutcliffe. David Cutcliffe should always be number 17 okay. on there. Like 16, 17. I actually am really impressed. I'm becoming more and more impressed with this list the longer you go. Number 17. This is another one I think I think Stu probably underrated, even though I know he likes him personally. Kyle Whittingham. Oh, yeah, he needs to be higher. He's a pretty good coach. I think Kyle Whittingham, Whittingham might be top ten. He could be top ten. Uh, For you, I, I would I would go. I don't think he I can mean, go top ten. I mean, he's had he's been. It's a very impressive what he's done at Utah. That's why. But it's not like they. I mean, they haven't contended for the oh, Pac-12 okay, championship. Rose Bowl. Let, yeah. Let's let's do it because they they have similar resumes in the fact that they neither of them have really done anything huge. Petrino um, and Whittingham. I thought you were like Gary Patterson. Okay, go through the rest because I have a follow-up question to this. Uh, Hugh Freeze. <laughs> wow, you're Wow, what Hugh was Freeze. that? Do you want to say Stu's an idiot? Can I have a uh, mulligan yeah, there? Stu's, you know, Stu's an idiot. I would have had Freeze. Even at the beginning of the year, I would have had Freeze that time. Number 19 was an awkward one because he's only been one year on the job. Tom Herman? You know, I, I'd like to withhold my ultimate judgment on Herman. I think the, the upside is there, but let's see. Number 20, Dan Mullen. 
I think he belongs. I'm solid with that. Definitely not top ten. I'm okay with Mullen. I mean, I, he, he meets their criteria of he has won more than anybody else ever has at that place. Okay, so my question for you guys is, as of t- when you re- we redo this list in the next preseason, who's mi- well, who's would you move Matt? Would you have Mike McIntyre in there? Off of he's one done season, it. he's had two, but he's done it t- two different places. True, uh, I could see him getting sort of that Cutcliffe kind of range. You know that he has he he rebuilt Colorado and he wanted a place in San Jose State where you never win. Yeah, I would. There's a couple guys in here I would probably bump out. I don't know if I would bump McIntyre in. But I would. He definitely deserves consideration. Who else is missing? Who else is missing? Matt Rule, no Matt Rule. Again, really done well. Well, if you're going to have Tom Herman, you should probably have Matt Rule. Right. I would actually say that you should so have Matt if, Rule if ahead we, of Tom so, Herman. So Les Miles is gone, and we laughed at Hugh Freeze. In the I new bump, list, I would, for bump, the S- I would bump out your number twenty guy, Dan Mullen. So okay, that's so you would have out of the entire top twenty. One SEC coach, save. It's possible. That is possible, yeah. Are you putting Butch Jones in? No. no. <laughs> fucking ass. <laughs> are you allowed to wait? You're allowed to this curse? This is how we, got the, we have the explicit no. label on iTunes now. You know who you guys are missing, though? The guy who used to be an SEC coach, James Franklin. Oh, oh yeah, 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 he just won the Big Ten. Franklin, yeah, he would, he would be in there after what he did at Vanderbilt and what what, what he's doing. Obviously, withholding. But I'll defend Antonio. I mean, the guy had what no, no, five. No, you have to defend. No, Antonio's top. Yeah, top, we, I don't know we, if he's top five. He's top. We seven, can dock D'Antonio and Patterson because they came off a bad year. But Franklin is clearly just whizzed past a lot of guys. All right, one more coach topic before we let Ralph go. Is there anybody else we're missing here? Well, maybe the guy I'm about to name. No. New, new Minnesota coach PJ Fleck. I would not say top. 20. I would not say top twenty. Um, but Paul Christ. Good year. Like everything at Wisconsin, we will underrate it. Yeah, <laughs> we will just we would just sort of put them aside and go. Oh yeah, Wisconsin, they're doing well again. Mike Gundy. It's a good idea, Stu. Uh, Mike Gundy could fall into the most underrated coach in the country. Why do you think that is? Is it because he's in Oklahoma Shadow? Because he's not, did the I'm the man on 40? Because he um, pissed off Sports Illustrated? What is the reason? I think it's uh, a little bit of both of those. I think that he is a hard guy to warm up to because of the I'm the man. Because I, I, I think he, we see his personality as being a little hard to embrace. So there's that. Um, he, he's never been a media darling. Um, a lot of the guys on this list are not media darlings, though. Yeah, but he's, I think, been on the other side of that. I, mean, I think, I I think he's not I, just been a media darling. Speak, he's, I, been a, he's, been, he's been almost adversarial well, can with the I, media Can times. I throw one thing out on this? Like, just from doing TV, Mike Cunningham's actually very easy to deal with for TV. Okay. Whereas yeah. Chris Peterson, who I really like can be very challenging for TV guys and True. some of the other guys on this list. I don't know about Gundy, but I think his mullet should be in the top 20. His mullet is definitely highly rated mullet. And you're right. I mean, he's considering what Oklahoma State was. If my criteria is, how have you done in comparison to other coaches historically at that school? Mm-hmm. Right. Can't beat Gundy. Well, if you're gonna do that, you could you could have a conversation about Leach on that list. Then he's the winningest yeah. coach at that school, and he's you know I'm not saying he should be on the list. I think if Gundy had had one more kind of season like that Fiesta Bowl season, because yeah. you know he's had he's actually had quite a few ten win seasons at this point. But then they play in the Alamo Bowl. If they had one more BCS Bowl season, I think it would be a no-brainer. You, I don't think you could have Mullen on the list without having Gundy ahead of him. How about that? That's, that's, a, that's a fair call, yeah. What about uh, if you have Ken at 15, do you have Troy Calhoun, who's won 10 games the last couple of years and beats Boise? I mean, they're in a they're actually in – it's not the SEC, but they're not in an easy position. I know he'd be in your top one. Okay. I don't it's know, a semi-rhetorical question because I know you want to get rid of me and we want to move on to other topics, but like – why doesn't he get another job? I don't know. I'm surprised he wouldn't have been a candidate at Minnesota. At Minnesota. You know, I'm surprised. I think Minnesota had one guy and one guy only. True, on true. Radar. Purdue was another place where I thought that he might have been interested. I think I thought he was in the mix of Purdue, I, I think he was, sure too. Interest he had. But he is, a, he is a guy who I perpetually find myself having the conversation with. Why? Well, he's still there. Why yeah, yeah. it's a good point. And he's an interesting offensive guy. He's a lot more yeah. than just a, the service academy offensive scheme. But well, it's uh, it's an it's you know here we are looking out on the water. I see some boats. I see some people rowing some boats. Uh, this is not where I would have guessed PJ Fleck would end up when the coaching carousel started. But 
he is in a Power 5 conference now, which it looked like it might not happen, which was really surprising. Can P.J. Fleck win big at Minnesota? Uh, I think he can because the schedule's bad. They're in a they're in a very soft side of the conference. Um, I don't know what's big. I mean, can he can right. he make them top ten? Glenn Mason, can he get back to the yes, Glenn Mason era? Yes, because the Big Ten is set up differently now. I think he can. the The bar is: can I be as good as Wisconsin and Nebraska on a semi regular basis? And Again, no offense to the Wisconsin, and we're going to crap on Wisconsin again because we always do that, and then they make us look silly. But that's not a crazy high bar to set. If I can just beat everybody else in that division and win and split Wisconsin-Nebraska, I got a pretty nice gig. Well, first he's got a—he's walking into a bit of a mess. You know, you've got players spouting off to the media that they don't want to play for the administration. You've got the Jerry Kill, who's revered there, says he's not going to step foot on the place again. But here, I loaded it up because I keep hearing people say how easy their schedule is. This is their 2017 Gophers schedule. They open with Buffalo. Then they go at Oregon State. That's a tricky. They should win that. Yeah. That's like the, that it might be. When's Gary Anderson going to get going there? You know, they almost didn't win that game this year. I know. This year. But they're still, that's still one of the probably three worst Pac-12 teams. And then here we go. Here we're off. Middle Tennessee, Maryland, at Purdue, Michigan State, Illinois. Where are they at that point? How many games is that? Yeah. Are they 7-0 seven, seven yeah, at that point? The first seven games are very winnable. If they, they would have – I would think he should be – see, I don't know what they have coming back yeah. either. And, again, you might have some kids transfer out of yeah. there because, obviously, there's some ill feelings. But you would think that of those first seven games, like five and two is a very reasonable yeah. – I think that's yeah. your worst case. And scenario. then you get Illinois who – it's no, home. I counted. No, I counted Illinois. Then where you where like it switches into game. high gear is at game. Iowa, at Michigan, Nebraska, at Northwestern, and Wisconsin. They could lose all five of those. But there. you could still be a bad uh, – if year one of your rebuild – because everybody walks into what is essentially a rebuild. And if your year one is six and six, that's not a bad place to start. If you're Fleck and you're changing culture and you're right, ramping up the one recruiting – 11 or whatever it was at, at, at uh, Western. I just think it's a manageable place to be for a guy who is probably not going to be there really long term. But if he can say, listen, if I can knock out one 10 win season here, go seven and five, okay. eight and four, and then 10 and two. Do you think he's, he's, he wants to jump immediately from Minnesota to somewhere else? I think, uh, I think if you're PJ Fleck I think and you are work. an aspirational guy, you are not thinking. I'm going to be at Minnesota for eight years, but, but you know, we'll see I don't think it's, I don't see him going in there winning 10 games and being gone in two years. I mean, I think it's a, it's a four to five year job at which point we'll see. Oh, sure. But, but I, I'm just saying if I'm, if I'm him, I, if, if my blueprint is I could get to 10 wins within three or four years, that's not unreasonable. I don't right, look at I that. Agree. It's not like Purdue I think where, where I'm thinking it's going to be really hard for me to do this. I think it is tougher looking back at it to do what James Franklin just did at Penn State and win the Big eat Big Ten from that side than it is what we're talking about getting to 10 wins for the Minnesota coach. They almost got to 10 wins this year. In total disarray. No one. Yeah. Yeah. In disarray, beat no one until... I will say, though, we talked a lot about the murderer's row coaches in the Big Ten East. This year, the Big Ten West added P.J. Fleck and Jeff Braun. I feel like the Big Ten, they got all this money now, right? They got gazillions of dollars, and they are not doing... It used to be like, okay, we'll go hire Tim Beckman. We'll go hire Daryl Hazel. Like, they're going out and getting the guys who everybody wants. Except Nebraska. You don't like Mike Riley. You don't think Mike Riley. No, well, I don't say I don't, don't like okay. Mike Riley because if you say you okay. don't like yeah. like Mike Riley, that would be almost sacrilegious. <laughs> no, but I, I do think you that just don't respect him. <laughs> <laughs> You're just killing me. I do. You don't think, think he's the answer there. I do think if you are Nebraska, a prestigious traditional national power, that you could do better. You might be able to take do better. Taking out the obvious of Nick Saban or Jim Harbaugh or Meyer. If you were the AD at Nebraska, who do you think would be a really, really good fit? Would you say I'm going to hire Scott Frost away and roll the dice with him? Who would you Who would you think you could get, and who would you be a good fit? I don't know who I could get at this point. I mean, I look at a guy like Matt Rule, and I would have thought like if I'm looking for a guy who's on the way up, like Fleck, like just 
I, I, I'm going to be willing to take a chance that I may miss, but I want a guy who is physical, sort of young, sort of has a big picture look at you know the CEO. Like, like Herman said the other day, my job is to coach coaches and disseminate culture, which is a little coachy speak, but nonetheless, like I like that summary, and I want a guy who can bring some energy and newness to a program. So I think that there, you know, maybe a guy like Fleck is not perfect for that, but a guy like Rule seemed to be a perfect match for what Nebraska wants to be really physical. Well, let's see a year from now if Mike Riley's eight and four, and people are getting restless, and if Scott Frost has a big second season at UCF, right. I would definitely look at that not just because he's the Nebraska former player, but style. Of yeah, I think the only way Nebraska is going to get relevant again is to kind of become the organ of the Midwest. Like, build something where, like, we are the cool school to come to. Like, yeah, we're in the heartland, and it's been 20 years since we were at our peak, but, you know, we're going to be the cool school of the Midwest. Come play for us, you know, and we'll go beat Harbaugh and Meyer. The conversation on, on Nebraska could just go for hours. Yeah, that's, a, I mean, that's Nebraska for another football podcast. And what, what Nebraska football was, is, and will be is just is, is a nonstop conversation. By the way, you know who uh, one person I think we left out, and it dawned on me because this was one of Stu's lesser predictions this year, but the guy is a really good coach, obviously, Justin Fuente. He falls in the Tom Herman kind of category of it's early, but he's doing really impressive things. Yes, I would agree. Yeah, yeah. Fuente is definitely a guy who could be on that top 20 to 25. Now it's 25. Now it's 25. I I I need some room. Hey, um, since you're the Fordham guy and we've given you a little hard time about this, I have no idea what that says. Joe Moorhead. Yes. So, where do you see him going next? I think, and this sounds like a big stretch. Is he waiting for James to leave and then he jumps I on? think there are a couple of different ways it could go here. I think if James leaves, he could end up at Penn State. It would be obvious, yeah. I think that the two dream jobs for him are Notre, Notre Dame and Pitt. He's a Pittsburgh guy. Um, I don't think it's crazy to think that if, if things don't go well for Kelly next year, I know it seems like a big step up for him to all of a sudden go from a coordinator to Notre Dame. I don't think it's crazy. I think he did a really great job at Fordham. I understand it's an FCS school, but it is a really difficult place to win football games. Um, That's a great a, academic school, though, correct? Come on, now? <laughs> no, actually, that, but that, that was the point I was going to make. It's a really good academic school. It's a Catholic school. Similar vibe as far as, obviously, on a much smaller scale. I, I do not think it's crazy to think that if, if Kelly bombs next year, Moorhead could be next up. Yeah, one. As Look, great yeah, as that Penn State, State offense Charlie was this White. year. Charlie was well, I mean, not to make it As great as that Penn State offense was this year, they bring almost everybody back. Barkley's back. Sorley's back. You know, he could have a, a you know, one of the best offenses. They don't bring back Chris Godwin, who was a terrific receiver. Right, right. The one, thing I, the one thing I once I once said this about Franklin, and it happened a lot sooner. I said, James Franklin will leave Penn State right after he beats Urban for the first time. Now, I didn't think he so would do it. Where is he going? Like, you guys are talking about no, this, like, thought, he's going to use Penn State as a... As a as like a jumping off job, it's one of the best jobs in the it's country. It's one of the best jobs in the country. I always thought Franklin could end up in the NFL. I think that there's he's one of those guys who, who I think has the potential to be an NFL attractive because he was attracted to the NFL a few years ago. The angry emails we are going to get yeah. from Penn State fans now, That's unbelievable. Fine. I'll take it. We're not we're not saying he's leaving right now. Okay, Ross was saying. No, that. no, I, I don't know what what, what jobs are open. Up? What jobs are open? Up? I mean, actually, NFL, I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be more mad that you're trying to get rid of Moorhead. Yeah, he's, he's a I'm god not, there I'm right not now. trying to get rid of Moorhead. He could be the next coach at Penn State. Ralph, thanks for come swinging by the balcony. We appreciate it. Thanks for telling me I'm an idiot on all those coaches. Uh, I look forward to seeing your top ten list next year. It sounds like it's going to have 27 names in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, please plug your work for a second. Thanks, guys. Uh, to follow me, I am at Ralph D. Russo AP on Twitter. And you can go to collegefootball.ap.org and find all my work. What, uh, and by the way, if you have any complaints about the AP poll, this is the guy you you tweet to. It's is there, all on me. Are there multiple Ralph Russo's at the AP? That you needed a period in there? I, I like my middle... You don't want... I'm not going to start this story of my middle initial. Now, you've already been trying to rush me off. <laughs> Stu's pointing to the it's time. It's like the Merv Griffin show. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for stopping by. They're playing me <laughs> off. The band's playing me off. All right. Thanks, guys. See you later. Thank you. All right, for the first time in a few weeks, we get to break out the Rob Stone mailbag jingle. It's the mailbag from a computer, so not literally a bag, but just mail. 
As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Our first one, Bruce, Sam Eccleson. Sorry. Sam Eskelson. Hey, guys. Love the pod. This year's Rose Bowl was an epic game. It got me wondering, what do you consider to be the five greatest college football games, regular season, or bowl games of all time? I hate all time because yeah. I didn't. I wasn't alive for most of them. So let's, so let's do it of our era. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to throw out some choices and you tell me where you fit with it. Okay? Mm-hmm. Maybe you can do the same. My number one is a clear number one. It is Texas, USC, in the Rose Bowl. Vince Young game that had a ton of stuff riding on it. It was significant. That and Miami Ohio State to me are kind of one A and one B. I think that is a Miami Ohio State game was not a, that great of a game for the first half. It was not the same level of it. Yeah. Um, I would also, you know, make the case of the Boise State Oklahoma game. Yep. I would put in this is not a bowl game, but the Cam Newton Alabama. Auburn game was fantastic because the drama back and forth. What about our our buddy Matt Liner at the USC Notre Dame Bush Push game? We were there. We were there. Um, I just remember getting back to my room and Sports Center was already debating whether it was the greatest game of all time. It's up there for me. Yeah, I don't know if I would put it in the top five, but it's definitely up there. All right. So where, 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 what about put? what about the kick six game? That's remembered more for the ending. Yeah. Than the, I mean, look, I would argue that the the USC-Penn State game the other day, now this is a recency thing, Yeah, was as good as the Bush-Push game. All right, so let's order them. We both have USC-Texas number one. I'm actually going to go Boise-Oklahoma number two. Okay. No, I'm going to go Miami-Ohio State two because it's for national championship. Okay. I'm going to go Boise-Oklahoma uh, number three. I'm going to go Bush-Push num- number four. No, I'm going to go... Cam Newton, Iron Bowl number four, Bush Bush number five. Uh, I'm going to go Cam Newton, Iron Bowl number two. And number three I would have is the Fiesta Bowl, uh, Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Boise. I would also put the um, the Rose Bowl that I saw, Ohio State, Arizona State, was a great game, um, maybe in my top five. And... Five is really hard to narrow down to. It is hard to narrow down. Look, I, it was a great game I saw. Cal, Aaron Rodgers against oh, yeah, USC. Aaron Rodgers was on fire that game. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to remember. There was a great Miami. The Boise State-Nevada game I covered was probably, would probably be in my top ten. You're always a little bit biased to the ones you actually saw in yeah, person. Yeah, person. I know. I know. So, I think we can do the top three a lot easier than we can do the top five. Yeah. I'm surprised you're not you're not as high as I am on Miami. I just remember that was your that was your Miami yeah. I remember the your... first half, and I was like, ah, eh, it wasn't that great of a first half. Uh, it got picked up drama late in the third quarter. Like I thought, the if I'm going to go with Miami game, Miami Penn State game was a lot more yeah. riveting. Uh, Miami had some great Florida State games too that were sure. that were really dramatic. Yeah, how do you pick one of those out? You know what I remember most about the Miami Ohio State Fiesta Bowl? Edwin Pope, the legendary Miami Herald columnist, but kind of a Miami homer. It was 17-7, right? In the, was it 17-7 in the third quarter, early fourth quarter? They were down. Miami was down. And I just remember him going, all right, boys. Now's the time. <laughs> That's what you Now remember. or never. That's what you remember. Yeah. Media thing. Well, I also remember being down the sideline and seeing the Miami players throw their helmets up in the air, not realizing they were going to pass an interference call the latest pass interference call ever. Ed McAvoy, oh, that's one of our regular readers. Not, he's not quite as prolific as Jason Garluski, but he's up there. Happy like New Jason Year. Jason Garluski should get the other bed in the <laughs> room. He should be flying it down. Happy New Year's, guys. Can you put a point value on the Alabama analyst consultant positions? It would seem Bama has an advantage in being able to advance, scout, and more quickly transition between games. Do you see the NCAA addressing the non-coaching staff positions? To be clear, Alabama is not the only program that has right. these. They've just they started the trend and they have the most. I heard today actually twenty one. I don't know if that's all analysts, but twenty one. I don't think they have non. No, I think they have twenty one people in the football office who are doing some sort of work on recruiting or whatnot who are not a coach. Uh, I do think the NCAA. We wrote Andy Staples and I co-authored a story about this a few years ago when it was just kind of becoming a trend. Uh, I think it's a little ridiculous when 
I mean, I guess on the one hand, you could say, well, it's their money. They can spend it how they right. want. But Lane Kiffin said the other day that they asked him at, at your game last week, like, what, what do these guys do? What does Sark doing? And he's like, oh, you know, when I'm busy kind of game planning on first down, He's, he's doing third down plays. And then another guy's doing second down plays. Or somebody else doing red zone. Really, this is a guy's full-time job? I mean, look, it's something that's been going on for a long time. And I think there's some legislation coming up about a possibly an extra coach that would be added full-time. And Actually, think, that is happening. Yeah, and I think what's positive, assuming that it doesn't get you know pulled back, is that you're talking about adding another job. I mean, I don't have a huge issue with that because it's... You know, it's a transient enough profession as it is. So, I, I mean, I don't have a huge issue with that. You know, it's that time of year. we got to have an 18 playoff question. This is Clayton Amboy, Make It Eight Teams. Hey, guys. Bruce, really happy that your roof is fixed. I was starting to twitch <laughs> every time I heard a hammer. Hopefully the noise from the, from the water from our surroundings here isn't too bad. I've been hearing people say that the bad semifinal playoff games were a reason the BCS was the right way to go. I feel the exact opposite, though, because an eight-team playoff would have had Michigan, Penn State, and probably USC as well. I don't think Alabama or Clemson would want to play any of those three. Would love to hear your thoughts. I would tend to agree with him. Like, here, So let me bounce this off you off the eight-team. I would be fine with eight teams, five conference champs, three at-large. The issue is now we're talking about extra games, and I don't see AD saying, okay, we'll shorten to 11 games. They're not going to give up that money back. I think they'd have to give up the conference championship. Yeah, but then how do you decide, you know, who's necessarily, is it going to be the highest ranked team as a conference champ? Well, it's just going to go back to the days where whoever finishes first finishes first. But but you you would have to accept that the team that finishes first might play a much easier schedule than the team that finishes second. I don't know. As you, as a Fox representative, do you want to give up that conference title game? (laughs) I just don't want an eight-team playoff. You know, I get his reasoning. You're okay with four teams. I'm totally okay with four teams. I get his reasoning. He's Would saying you want six. No, not really. He's saying USC and Penn State are hot teams that could probably that would have a good chance to beat one of those teams at the top. My answer to that would be that feels like the NFL. And the NBA. Should, a, it feels like the NFL and NBA. B, they should have had a better season. You know, I, I don't get the. I seem to have been born with a different gene. Than most sports fans, they see what the NFL does, where you let in the nine and seven teams, and, and if they win the Super Bowl, they win the teams. But I'm saying the the rationale of we need it. Why do we need an 18 playoff? Oh, because there's teams that are being left out that would have a chance to win it. Well, then they should have had a better season. You know, to me, it's reward season long excellence, not um, give them a couple mulligans, and if they're playing well at the right time and they get in and they get hot, they get to win the national championship. But I understand that a lot of people feel the exact opposite. But again, you could want whatever. You want an 18 playoff. You cannot add another game of the season without taking one away. You just, I mean, think about it. 15 years ago, right, you would play an 11-game schedule. Then you'd have a month off, and your bowl game is your 12th game, and that's it. These teams today that we're going to watch on Monday. That was like 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, these teams Monday will play, will have played... 15, well, 13 yeah. regular season games, then the bowl game is the 14th game, and then a week later they play a 15th game. And by the way, that's one less than the NFL regular season, and those guys are being paid to do that. I just think at some point people got to say, like, wait a minute, we, this is not fair. We can't make these guys keep risking their bodies for free, uh, you know, inter- for everybody's entertainment. I saw, in fact, Ben Bulware, the Clemson linebacker, said the other day at their media day, if I had to turn around and play another game right now, I, I would. He said I would literally die. He's a very quotable guy, so I put that out there. And you get all on Twitter, and you get all these. Well, then I guess he's not tough enough for the NFL. You know, it's going. Well, how's he going to handle that? And it's like <laughs> the layperson doesn't under have any idea of the physical rigors these guys go through. I've lost you. You must be breaking a story or something. No, no, we're all good. I don't, I, I don't disagree with you. I don't. You know. Want to wait until the late person taking on that bullwork. I, I like this Scott Carey question. Stuart and Bruce, Happy New Year. Thanks for all the Happy New Year's, guys. What are the chances by this time next year that a university somewhere will have rolled the dice and hired Rex Ryan as his football coach? Wow. How about that? Former uh, UC, University of Cincinnati defensive yeah, coordinator. Former Oklahoma defensive coordinator. Um, I don't know. I don't see him as a college coach in this, where he's at in his career now. 
Well, what's he going to do? NFL DC? I don't know. He'll go be, go be a TV. Go, go on TV. Yeah, he could, he'd be pretty good. good on that, I think. He, his, uh, his work on Hard Knocks was much appreciated. Um, I just don't see him as a, as a going back to college after 20 years later. Both he and his brother, certainly not Rob. Um, I told you my story. Like One of my good friends was a Rob Ryan protege and coached under him at Oklahoma State. And that was basically, it was 20 years ago. They're just really far removed from that college game. I just, I just don't see it. Kyle Malloy, I think you're going to like this question. The subject of which is, does the Big 12 still suck? Bruce and Stewart, bowl games are a tiny sample size. So what, if anything, can you take from the Big 12's relative overachievement in bowl season? Both the win-loss record, which was 4-2, and two, plus holding the opponents to lower-than-expected point totals. Lower than anybody else in the Power 5. That's right. I guess they do play defense in the Big 12. Oh, and Stewart, please refrain from ever picking my frogs for the playoff again. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. I think, you know, unfortunately a lot of stock, actually almost the entire stock of a conference is placed in those early season games, and some teams aren't what they're going to be at the end of the year. Certainly that was the case with Penn State. I think that was clearly the case with Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, Kansas State, I saw them opening week against Stanford. They had no idea yet what they were doing on offense. So the bowl games do, do tend to... Um, uh, work in the favor of a conference who has a lot of teams like that. I have a question for you off this. Yeah. So, like 10 years ago, maybe it was a little more, you know, Brent Venables and Mike Stoops were both the co-coordinators. You remember that time, right? Absolutely. If Brent Venables is the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma, are they here? Hmm. I think, look, I think Baker, you know, Baker Mayfield is really, really good quarterback. I think Oklahoma, as young as their offensive line was, their offense is is as good as pretty much anybody's right now. It seems like, so Oklahoma went through a period there where they didn't have, they had a rough time on defense for a few years, and they kind of, I know Venables was never officially fired necessarily, but he was kind of nudged aside for Mike Stoops, and I wonder, I wonder if they'd like to trade trade them back. Brent Venables has proven to be Heck of a defensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if the message from Mike was getting through or not. By the way, was that... Somebody had said this to me and, and I thought about it. It didn't sound right, but maybe it is right. Did... Do you think Oklahoma beat the second-best team in the SEC the other night handling? Who is the second-best team in the I, SEC right now? Is it LSU? Probably it LSU, Florida? yeah. I think it was LSU. I mean, look what LSU did to Louis, but Louisville's... I know they struggled late, but that's a good team. Yeah, they just really shut them down. Yeah, and uh, and then the last game of this regular season, they put up what fifty six on AM, something like that, fifty two. Yeah. I think it was probably LSU, but LSU lost to Auburn early in the season, so they stayed behind them. I also think if Sean White doesn't get hurt in that game, maybe it's a little more competitive than it was. Nice, you're back in Sean White now. Well, all I know is once he got <laughs> injured, they could not do anything. Bobby Lane, our friend from Williamsport, Pennsylvania, tried to keep this short. First, kudos to Bruce for calling and sticking with Clemson as the national champions. There is no way they lose to Bama. They are by far, at this point, the most complete team I've seen all year. Which brings up a good question. What does the loss, Clemson's loss, to no defense pit say about Clemson at that time? And what does it say about the potential of new LSU offensive coordinator Matt Canada? Uh, you know, we've talked about him. He's really he's a very, very good play caller. He's very creative. They did have some good weapons, you know, obviously with James Conner. They had speed on the outside, and they had a good offensive line. But I thought what he's done with quarterbacks is, is very intriguing, you know, to turn Peterman into the most efficient. You know, the last week with all the talk about, you know, Clemson's defensive back calling out JT Barrett, you know, we've seen better quarterbacks. Peterman was the most efficient quarterback in the ACC. Certainly not Lamar Jackson, not Deshaun, not Mitch Trubisky, not Brad Kaya. Um... And I think a lot of that goes back to Matt Canada. So, very curious to see what he'll do with LSU's personnel. Obviously, he's inherited a great running back in, in Darius Geis. Uh, going back to his point about the, the Pitt matchup, Pitt's one of the weirder teams in the last year, their, this past year of their season. They beat Penn State, right, who was a top-10 team, whether they lost or not in the Rose Bowl. I think Penn State's a top-10 team. They beat Clemson on the road. Um, How'd they do in their bowl game? Mm, not great. 
Uh, with, they actually, uh, it's in their defense, they, they, they lost, they uh, lost to, James Conner in that game. They lost their quarterback they in that game. They lost to Northern Illinois, right? Was it they played? North. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's weird because he said no defense Pitt. And Pitt had a great edge rusher in and Price, and they had some good athletes in the secondary. We know Pat Narduz is a you know, terrific defensive coach, but the pieces didn't seem to fit together. You know what I mean? I don't. I mean, they're kind of a mystery a little bit. Jeffrey Stallcamp. Good morning, Mr. Feldman and Mr. Mandel. I think you missed something when you talked about the possibility of having cold weather playoff games. Stuart being from the Natty, I would expect you to not be such a wimp about the weather. <laughs> I am a full-blown wimp. By about the way, the I'm from a much colder place than you are. So. Yeah, but you're a wimp about the weather too. You live in sunny California. I see you're wearing shorts right now. Do you know <laughs> that on Sunday here it's going to be like high of 56? You're okay with that? Anyway, I think it's a huge home field advantage that northern schools almost never get, and could value the regular season even more trying to get that advantage. All right, I'm going to um, disagree with him on that. This, I, I look at that as a north, northern slash midwestern excuse that the reason they don't do better, the Big Ten doesn't do better in the bowl games, is that they don't, is that the warm teams don't ever have to go up into the cold. Or that, you know, Iowa had to play Florida in Tampa or, or whatnot. If it were a normal game where you just show up on Friday and leave on Sunday, I would get that. But you go to these games for a week. You think they acclimate that much in five days? I think there's a little How bit How could they not? Time. Not body they're not playing. The, the, the teams aren't playing in their home stadiums. It's an acclimation for both teams. There's no time zone issue after five days. I still think when it's the when it's the third or fourth quarter, you're still seeing your breath. It's for the guys who aren't aren't playing all the time. So you yeah. think? So okay. I, I think there's a little bit to this point. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dismiss that. So you so let's say you took the all the games the Big Ten played this year. Look, Which they I, went three and seven in. If Alabama played Purdue on the North Pole, Alabama's still gonna beat the shit out of Purdue. <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> I mean, there's no weather that's gonna change that. But if it's close, yeah, I don't know. I could see it. I can see it impacting some guys. I, I use this example, and maybe it's not gonna hold true. I visited a school. Uh, I did a game at a school. There were two players on an official visit from Florida, and I remember one of the, rec- the recruiting coordinators said trying to say this without outing anybody, um, said they asked for winter jackets, and it was like 49 degrees. And they were like, these kids are not coming here. You know, kind of thing. It's one thing to have to live in. It's another to have to play in it for a day. Look, I, you know, you see these NFL playoff games in Green Bay and whatnot where it's like negative 10. That would be, there was no question that would affect the game. But I think it would affect both teams. But, no, I hear you, and I think it'll happen eventually. And, Maybe I'm just being selfish, right? Spent last weekend in Phoenix. I'm spending this weekend in Tampa. I know. There's, they, you know, George Schroeder sent a picture. He's leaving Oklahoma today, and it was 12 degrees, and they were de-icing the plane. So, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. The bowl system's pretty good, not just for the players and the teams, uh, but for the media. Let's end with a little uh, cool note I got here. Derek Johnson, Stu Bruce, heard you talking about former Oregon State wide receiver James Rogers on the last podcast and thought you'd like to know. He is now one of the interns for Mike Riley at Nebraska, and people who cover the program think he's a fast riser. Good. Except for Ralph Russo, apparently, who's who's reing out on Mike Riley, but Um, that is cool that he's back uh, reunited with Mike Riley. Yeah, um, and this predates, you know, it's funny, I, uh, you know, on Twitter, you end up, you know, crossing paths with, you know, pretty random people, and I saw, you know, my followers, what, Lyle Boyval popped up, so I followed him back, and you know he's now a coach. If I, when was he the quarterback at Oregon State? Ten years uh, ago? No, 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 no. More recently than that. So he would have overlapped with the Rogers brothers. Yeah. Well, I think he's a little older. I think he was their quarterback. I mean, J- Sean Mannion came in toward the end. I think there was somebody before him. Well, Ryan Katz was there with Mannion too. Yeah. So it's it is cool when you see somebody who was a good player. And they end up coaching, and you kind of feel like—I mean, it's a little weird. Like Fitz, I mean, you know, I thought Fitz was a great player because obviously he was super productive. You know, he's—you know—he's a coach, but usually you don't see it because guys either spend a lot of time in the NFL or they. The craziest one recently was that Colin Klein was a Heisman finalist, and I want to say the next season or at latest the season after that, he was on the Kansas State coaching staff. 
Well, I went to uh, I went to A and M early this you know before the season. And I know a lot of the guys on that staff, and I find myself sitting you know eating with BJ Denker, you know who was at at uh, Arizona starting quarterback, and now you know, now he's in coaching. It's not that far removed, and you see guys like that. So. All right, looking forward to a great weekend here in Tampa. And uh, as always, you can uh, email us at theaudiblepod at gmail.com. If you enjoy The Audible, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. The next time we you hear from us, we will have a new national champion. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.